0: what is good everybody welcome to the gold standard show on the gold standard podcast network i'm rob stats guerrera he's 11 black levin how are you
1: uh well you owe me uh 15 minutes uh, of my hourly rate so uh (laughs) my hourly rate for you is like a thousand dollars an hour because this is just painful
0: Mm -hmm. well speaking of that Uh, i appreciate john boy loco says great job guys appreciate you both helping me get over this devastating loss and heartbreak we appreciate that you've helped us at least me i can speak for myself it's definitely been easier to get over the loss just having to do shows and talk to people every day and kind of talk through it
1: uh yeah i haven't had the same experience so (laughs) i I, i've i've worked pretty much every day because uh we had a big uh expansion going on at work so i've had like zero time to process i'm way behind on school work and everything else so uh i'm just going through it basically i'm i'm going through the emotion the motions because i have not had time to process anything
0: shout out to the national football league for just keeping the calendar rolling along we (laughs) are in the combine right now jason ponte is at the combine for the gold standard podcast network uh so that is like, it doesn't stop. The grind just continues, 11. And, you know, we can talk about that if you want, because today is a defensive lineman, I believe, at the combine. They start a little bit later. And the Niners are probably going to need to take at least one defensive lineman, if not more. They have to replenish, right? Chase Young is a free agent. Randy Gregory is a free agent. Cleveland Farrell is a free agent. And, they build this team through the defensive line. I had a revelation yesterday and it came during the show with Grant Cohn, which I'm sure you listened to. <laughs> uh, yes,
1: sure. I listened to it in my immense amount of free time.
0: Right. So, okay. During the show, we had a comment. I went back and checked today because this comment just stuck in my head and I've just been gnawing on it. And you know, like, I try to respond to a bunch of comments, but we're in the middle of a show. So sometimes I don't give things the full amount of thought that I would normally give them. So the comment was from someone named Richie. And what, what are you doing with this comment here that you've
1: put? It, it's just an question. absolutely perfect comment. And I wanted to get to it before we get away from it. He says, Thomas, Le... oh boy. Uh, I was going to say Latrell but I, the two L's throws me off. I don't know if there's a different sound there at the end. But he says, I was watching Tin Cup last night, and Shanahan is Roy McAvoy. And that is a pretty good analogy. Uh, Have you seen the movie? Do you know the movie?
0: Yes, I've seen the movie many times. First of all, so what you're saying is you wanted to completely slam the brakes on the thought that I was right in the middle of.
1: Yes, because we're going to get into the show. And once we get into the show, like this is not ever going to be probably relevant to the show. So... I wanted to get to it before you finished your thought.
0: Well, gee, thank you. Uh, the movie is great. Anyone that hasn't seen it, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say it's a very apt comparison. It's, no, yeah.
1: No, I'll spoil it. It's from the early 90s. We can spoil it. <laughs> okay. It's
0: okay. Go ahead. He's a
1: golfer who is about to win a big tournament. The and US Open. he decides to go for the gusto and try to get over this water hazard. And it is a green that has a downhill slope to bring you back to the water. And he keeps thinking he can make it. And he keeps thinking he can make it. And he keeps taking the same shot. And he ends up losing the tournament because rather than just taking a layup and a drop and then playing it from there where he would win, he kept going for glory. And I love that analogy because that's kind of Shanahan. He keeps beating his head against the wall doing the same thing over and over.
0: Yeah, except Shanahan's problem is that he doesn't go for glory. He always lays up. And he always gets beat by by somebody that goes for glory and ends up pulling it off. Shanahan's always left on the sidelines hoping the other guy hits it in the water.
1: Yeah, to a degree. I mean, he kept passing in the 28-3 game. That's why he gets criticism for that because he decided to keep going for glory. He didn't like the lead. He didn't think it was enough. He was right. It's just the offense didn't work at that point. He never adjusted to the adjustments that Belichick made at halftime.
0: So anyway, go see Tim Cup. It is a good movie. I do enjoy Kevin Costner. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think uh, Cheech and Chong, are, or is it just Cheech or Chong? I don't know who's just who. Cheech. Just Cheech. Just Cheech. Cheech, Cheech Marin. Um, yeah. So anyway.
1: And uh, I'm trying to remember the female's name. I can see her. Uh, Renee Russo. And Dustin Johnson.
0: Great. So thanks for throwing the brakes on the show and completely You're derailing welcome. my thought.
1: Well, yes, because if there isn't a time in the calendar of the year to just derail and go talk about a golf movie, uh, I, I don't know when that would be other than wait. I had a
0: relevant
1: topical
0: point. You can get to it. That I thought of in the shower this morning. All my, I do all my best thinking in the well, shower.
1: I tell you what, you show up on time, I won't
0: derail you. <laughs> hey, it's my company, On time is whenever I begin it. No, it's definitely not. So the comment from Richie during the show with Grant yesterday about the 49ers core philosophy, and it's relevant again because the defensive linemen are going to combine today and the Niners need defensive linemen. And if they pick a defensive lineman in the first round, I think a lot of people are going to lose their minds, quite frankly. But the Niners believe that that's how you build the core of this defense, that it's defensive line, get pressure with four, That's really how they believe the best way to win is, frankly. And they've had a lot of success with it, Levin. I mean, we all know the record since 2019. I think they've won like 54 games. They've won eight playoff games. They're eight and four in the playoffs. And none of those four losses have come before the NFC championship game. But in the playoffs, especially in the Super Bowl, they haven't had that success. And I think it's because for a very simple reason, and you know the reason, Levin, the bigger the game, the less officials call holding. So if you have a team that is centered around the defensive line and getting pressure with those guys, but the officials are not going to call holding, that advantage gets neutralized and your defense can be had. And we have seen that come back to bite the 49ers in critical situations. And this is not me complaining and whining about the Chiefs. It's, it's not just a Chiefs thing. It's everybody. For example, do you know how many holding calls there have been in the last six Super Bowls combined? Three? Seven. Seven holding calls three combined. Is in the last three, sorry. Right. In the last six Super Bowls. They don't call it. So if your team is built on getting pressure with the front four, but the other team can just hold the hell out of them and not get a penalty for it, your defense is going to suffer. And so I think the 49ers might need to shift their core philosophy, Levin. I think the 49ers need to build the defense outside in. Invest in the secondary. Put your money and your resources in the secondary and let them boost your pass rush. Is that crazy?
1: There's a whole lot of things to take from there. Um, First off, yeah, that's what I said two weeks ago, that I think they need to change their strategy because you can't build through the defensive line because the NFL is going to allow the quarterback to decide the Super Bowls. Um, I, I completely agree. I think they need to fundamentally change, but I'm going to take it a step further. They need to fundamentally change by changing the damn defensive scheme. The defensive scheme doesn't fit for what the NFL is going to allow in the Super Bowl. You need to not spend a ton of money on the defensive line. I do think you need one like really great player there. You know, the Nick Bosa, the Chris Jones for Kansas City. You need somebody that can at least take on a double team. So then the other team has to decide what to do against blitzes. And that's the change in the scheme. You need a spags type defense where you're going to blitz and you're going to disguise it. And the Ravens run a similar thing. There's a reason why they're successful. But there's very few defensive coordinators that are capable of disguising things in that way consistently to where they don't get figured out at some point during the season. But that's what I want to see go away from trying to get the stars on the defensive line and go to building an offensive line that is dominant and then fill out your secondary with a bunch of money. You know, they have Fred Warner, and that's great. I personally don't think phenomenal linebackers is a requirement. It's more of that's the luxury aspect to me on defense. If you get great linebackers, great. If you don't, it's not that big of a thing. Uh, The Kansas city doesn't have the best of linebackers. They're decent. They're not great. They have weaknesses, but they're good enough because if your secondary and especially your outside corners can shut down the other wide receivers opposite of them, everything else comes in. You can blitz, you can sit back in coverage and nobody's going to get open because you don't have a corner getting beat one-on-one that frees up your safeties to cover up any weaknesses when they go deep. Everything else becomes so much easier if the outside guys can shut them down. And I think they have one of them. They do not have two of them. And it's really hard to get. So I'm not really criticizing them. But what I would like to see overall strategy adjustment is I think they need to change the defensive scheme. And I think they need to go out and get a top corner in this draft in hopes of pairing him with Ward on the other outside the drafted corner on the on the other outside. And when Lenore shifted inside as the slot, he was great in that role. I think he's okay outside, but when he became the slot guy, that's when he really started to stand out. And I think if you can draft the right guy, you're going to have two shutdown corners and one of the best slot corners in the league and everything else takes care of itself.
0: It's funny because I feel like the Niners have done the hard part, right? They've found the pass rusher in Nick Bosa. They have a linebacker, like you said, who's really good in coverage, the luxury part of it. They have a really good corner in Mooney Ward, who led the league in pass breakups this year. You know, maybe he's not like Darrell Revis, but he's a really, really good number one corner who you can you can feel confident. But he struggles
1: against small, speedy, like very quick uh, wide receivers. That's his one weakness.
0: OK, I don't know how to say this person's name Tajucinator. I'll say that. Uh, Thank you. New YouTube channel member. We appreciate it. I'm sorry if I butchered your name, throw it in the chat and I'll get it right. Uh, For anybody that wants to be a YouTube channel member, please do. It's less than $3 a month. Support the channel. You get custom emojis, you get membership badges, you get priority comment response. There are not many teams out there that have two really good cornerbacks. Like, I don't know that anybody does really. Maybe the Chiefs this year, uh, the Ravens, maybe. Uh, that's probably it. It's really hard to get to really good corners, but I agree with you. If, if you're not going to take an offensive lineman in the first round, let's say they're all gone, whatever. To me, I agree with moving up, but I think you move up to get a corner. You don't move up to get a defensive lineman. And it's not because the defensive linemen aren't good. It's because of what we talked about. I feel like you got to build this defense around the secondary because it'll just be the reverse of what it has been. The plan for the 49ers was get pressure with the front four quickly, and that will take the pressure off of the secondary. That'll make life easier for the secondary. You need to reverse it. Have a really good secondary, and that makes life easier for Nick Bosa. It makes life easier for Jayvon Hargrave and Eric Armstead. Because Bosa to me is the kind of guy, especially. He's not like a von Miller, like bam win right off the bat immediately kind of guy. Most of the time he doesn't do that. He's not like that Miles Garrett guy, but Bosa is so good and so strong and so technically sound that he will get home. Like you're not going to stop. Very rarely does he just get flat out stonewalled. So if your secondary can buy him some time, I almost think that's the way to maximize Nick Bosa, sort of the opposite of how they've been doing it.
1: So yeah, I would, my preferred route, is the draft is a crapshoot. I would prefer if they're going to give up a big contract to a free agent this off season, go get Jalen Johnson and pair him with Ward and Lenore. Hmm. That secondary, you know, then is taken care of. He's only 24 years old. He's a really, really good corner. I would say he's like one step below the you know the Sertans of the league. Um, I think if you get him, that defense, everything else, like I said, falls in. You can have a, a safety who's learning uh, in in Jair. You can have a safety that's coming back from a major injury that might take time to get truly back in uh, uh, Huff. I want to see them go the free agency route with the corner, and I would like them or prefer them to move on from one of the defensive linemen. You know, Eric Armstead is a, a strong candidate to free up the cap space because the year one cap hit of signing a big free agent contract with, say, Jalen Johnson won't be that big. And if you make the move now and take the dead cap hit this season, that means next season when that corner becomes more expensive, you have the cap space to pay the bigger cap hit.
0: The Armstead, I I don't think there's any way that he comes back under his current deal. I think they're going to say, if you want to come back, you have to take a pay cut. Otherwise, we're just going to cut you. He's missed a lot of time. He's older now again like the, the
1: injury he has is one that it's untenable you're not to you don't pay big money for a guy who's good not great who has an injury that there is no healing from it and it can flare up at any time and last for an indefinite amount of time like that's too much of an unknown to put big money into
0: well not only that but you're, you're talking about the plantar fasciitis he also tore his meniscus yeah. this year yeah. so like that's on top of some of the other issues so i do think that they are going to do something with eric armstead i think they're going to do something with juice um i know that i thought i saw some comments from jalen johnson about how he wants to bag or he wants to reset the market or get paid which i don't blame him for by the way good for you um but i would i agree i think i would much rather see the 49ers do that um yeah i would rather
1: see them spend on the corner and then in the draft concentrate on the offensive line And then take, I don't want to see a first round defensive lineman, but I wouldn't mind second, third, fourth rounds, taking a couple hits there uh, and and hope one of them pans out, you know, take an edge and take a defensive tackle and hope that they pan out in the, in the mid rounds. I just don't want to see it in the first round. That will uh, upset me.
0: Not only taking the defensive lineman too but if, if they do invest in the secondary the way we're talking about then maybe you can increase the value of uh drake jackson for example a guy who is not good enough to get the sacks on his own but can chase people down can you know find himself in the right place at the right time if the quarterback has to bail out of the pocket you know all of a sudden maybe he can become some something of value for you whereas right now i don't think he he's just not good enough to just flat out beat tackles and get to the quarterback on his own
1: if they were to come back on a cheaper deal kind of like what they were on I would be all for saying the second edge is going to be a combination of Cleveland Farrell and Randy Gregory because in their individual roles I think they they did very well they're just they can't they're not a complete picture Randy Gregory is decent at getting after the quarterback and Cleveland Farrell was one of the best defensive ends against the run this season if they were willing to come back on the cheap I would be willing to do that, you know, spend three, four, maybe even five million. Um, Cleveland Farrell, I think will, I would be surprised if he gets a lot of interest because of the injury that he picked up Yeah. and Randy Gregory at this point, every team's had an opportunity to go get him. Uh, he, it did not cost almost anything to trade for him. So I don't think there's going to be much of a market there either. I would be fine with them just saying, you know what, we're going to bring these two guys back and they can combine to set that edge and we'll draft a young guy and maybe we get lucky there.
0: Uh, I want to get back to this conversation really quickly, but I saw this super chat and I want to Dazza. How dare uh, you derail us? No, I'm not. Look, this is somebody that's paying money. OK, <laughs> you get a little more leeway when you pay money. Um, Daza says there seems to be lots of talk about the defensive coordinator and the defense, but the games we struggled, it was the offense that stalled or didn't perform. For the most part, I agree with you. For the most part, I went through it yesterday with Grant. When you just go through the Niners' schedule last year and read the opponent point totals, it's like 19, 17, 15, 3, 23. It's always really good. There was one game against Cincinnati where the defense really just got absolutely cooked. I think since he scored like 31. But other than that, like the defense did their job for the year. You don't end up third in the league in points allowed if you don't. It was the offense that kind of, we saw it a lot of times, did stall out.
1: Yeah, I, I think the reason why there isn't more talk about offense is because what do you do? You you got great wide receivers. You got a right. great running back. You got a great tight end. You got the quarterback. The only thing that anybody ever talks about is the offensive line and Kyle Shanahan's play calling. Those have gotten talked about. The reason why you don't hear a lot of talk about fixing anything offensively is because they're kind of already known. Kyle needs to be a little bit better at at being... Aggressive and changing his scheme quickly, not waiting till halftime, right? Uh, And then you just need to fix the offensive line. Those are things that everybody agrees on. So nobody's arguing about it. So it doesn't get talked about as much. It's the defense and where to address, whether to change the scheme, who becomes a defensive coordinator. Those are all the unknowns. And there are avenues that you can go down with opinions that are logical. There's multiple ways you can go and have a logical argument to be made.
0: And also the offense was really, really good last year, too. So it's, you know, yes, they have their problems, but they were also really, really good uh, on the whole. But like like Daza, I think, is saying, and like a lot of people would say, there, there were just points in games where it was just like unbelievable how you would get nothing out of them. Going back to something that came up on the show with Grant yesterday, Mike Silver has an article in the San Francisco Chronicle that, like, just pumped me up for the offseason, and I thought it was really telling what he was saying because, again, Mike Silver super connected to the 49ers. He's known Kyle Shanahan since Kyle was 15 years old. He's covered John Lynch as a player. Mike Silver covered the Niners during the glory years. He's close with Mike Shanahan as well. Did you see the article? I'm assuming you haven't because I know you've been busy.
1: Uh, I did not see his article. I saw your article that you're showing now on the screen.
0: Okay, well, there you go. That's good, because it has a lot of quotes in there. You should go check it out at our website, goldstandardniners.com. Not now, Levin.
1: This is our time.
0: There you go. Silver wrote that he thinks the Niners are going to be in play for big moves. He says that Shanahan and Lynch are going to come out swinging, something that could lead to aggressive moves in the draft and free agency and result in potential trades. And he mentions... Brock Purdy's cheap rookie deals still in play, and so that lets them be aggressive. Okay, that is cool. The more telling part to me is this second part from Silver, where he talks about tough decisions may be coming, possibly involving productive veterans who played a big role in the franchise's recent run of success. Sometimes elite football players fall off quickly and precipitously. If the coach and the GM believe that applies to any of these players or to younger but well-worn stars like Debo, CMC, or Greenlaw, they need to act accordingly and try and find something better. That, to me, is telling. That, to me, says that Shanahan and Lynch are looking at this team and they are not liking certain things that they are seeing and that they could make some big moves in terms of moving off of people. Does that surprise you? Does that jump out of you? Do you think it's a bunch of nothing? What's your reaction?
1: I think uh, it's what everybody's been saying. I mean, we both have been saying that going to the very start of the season. Now, whether or not Silver is just saying what he thinks is logical or if he actually has inside info, that's what we don't know. Because sometimes he has inside info. Sometimes he doesn't. And we never know which one it is because he doesn't, you know, say it. an anonymous source told me all that often. Uh, I, I do think that there, there should be some changes and I hope that they are, you know, I, we've talked about Debo Armstead juice. I think the green law it one is I, I can't see them releasing him because it's a weird situation. He has one year left on his deal and the chances of him being back and being good next year are slim to none. He'll be back, but he probably won't be very good because an Achilles injury takes a long time to get over. And his position requires a ton of lateral movement. So I, I think he'll struggle next year, but I could see them knocking his cap hit down by giving him a uh, an extension. Add two or three years onto the contract at decent rates to where he's happy to get a little bit of uh, future money when he has a complete unknown for his career. And the Niners are taking the gamble that he will be back at some point And we'll have him at a discount yet again if he returns to form.
0: You're muted, bud. (laughs) (sighs) Sorry. Man, I was doing good. I hadn't done it in a while. Um, D'Amico Ryans was actually asked about coming back from an Achilles because he did it twice. And what he said was it took him six months to just recover and three months to sort of get back to performance, to really feel like himself again. So, I mean, that's nine months. Let's just do the math. Dre Greenlaw was hurt in February, nine months would be back to performance by November, which I would sign for, by the way, if I were the 49ers, like I wouldn't just throw Dre Greenlaw out there in September just because he's practicing again or whatever. Keep him out if you need to, you know, let him get back to where he feels like he's himself again. Because if you put him back and he's not quite himself and he doesn't quite trust it, then he's putting stress on other parts of his body. And maybe he has an injury with those because there's more of a workload there. If I were the Niners, I would just plan for Greenlaw to be out until November.
1: I don't know that he'll be out that long. Like Part of the returning to form is playing on it, rebuilding the strength. You have to play on it to get to that point. So you can't just say, hey, we know you're healthy enough to play right now but we're going to keep you on the shelf for three months until it's fully back to strength. It doesn't get back to strength until he plays on it. So you're going to have to deal with that window of where he's not really going to be his usual self. And he might be a liability in certain regards. You might play him a little bit less, keep him fresher. Don't put so much stress on it, but he does have to play something.
0: That's a fair point. You're right. I didn't think of it like that, but that's, that's, accurate two already this year <laughs> one eight seven said y'all said purdy will miss eight weeks have green ready for the second half of the season i don't think levin and i ever went on and guaranteed that brock purdy wasn't going to be in for eight weeks i think our point on brock purdy was it could be eight weeks it was such an unknown because of the surgery only three professional quarterbacks have ever had that surgery it's younger than venmo this is not that this is an achilles There have been a ton of Achilles injuries. We have a much, much, much more accurate picture and a much bigger sample size from which to draw our data. So Brock and Dre Greenlaw, to me, are not the same.
1: I mean, do we need to bring up the fact that Purdy himself said that he didn't feel 100%? He got stronger after the midpoint of the season. So he wasn't 100%, yeah. He wasn't 100% until about eight weeks in. Now, he was able to play through it. And even the Niners have talked about how they were surprised that he was going to be able to play. We know the Niners reached out to Brady saying, hey, (laughs) do you want to come out of retirement? Because we don't know if Purdy's going to be healthy. So the Niners didn't even know that he would be able to play the whole season.
0: They hit the absolute jackpot on that with Brock. Like everything that needed to come up seven came up seven for them. It's unbelievable. Uh, Corey Soto says, Bill Walsh had trade a good player a year before they declined. Modern examples, the Patriots and the Kansas City dynasties don't get attached. Keep the blood flowing. Completely agree. And that's it's all sports, really. It's always better to trade somebody a year too early as opposed to a year too late. I completely agree.
1: You could make the argument it's a year too late with Armstead.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know that they would be able to get a ton from Armstead. I think that they would. I don't think they want to release him because I think they like him. And he has good value. He just doesn't have as much value as his current contract. So it'd be interesting if you're him.
1: Yeah. The problem is that his contract has those void years on it that carry heavy cap hits. So if you just like redo the deal, those are still sitting there. And those are not something you want to have sitting around when you need to go pay Purdy. So it just feels like to me that they're going to end up moving on from him. And I don't think anybody's going to come trade for him because of what we talked about. It's too much of an unknown when it comes to his injuries.
0: So, so you see Arm- the
1: void here. Yeah.
0: yeah. Armstead's cap hit is 25.8 million yeah. uh, this year. Now I don't know post June 1 cut it goes all the way down to 10.3 million. Yeah. So that's much more palatable if you're the 49ers. Um, so I think they're going to they're going to do something with Armstead. I think that was in Tim Kawakami has a column up right now about offseason predictions. And, you know, some of his are good. Some of his are not good. Um, But his prediction number five actually is if Eric Armstead doesn't agree to lower his salary and cap number, he'll be released. So, yeah.
1: So so this is the question that they have to ask themselves. Do you let Armstead play out his contract, which would be just this season, and you have a cap hit of $28 Do you move on from him and make that a $25 million cap hit and allow him to find a team in free agency? Or do you hold on to them and cut him post-June 1st, which is kind of a thing that you don't do to players you like. But this is a unique situation where it's a full like $15 in cap savings difference. So they may end up doing that. The thing is, is why would they at that point? Because free agency's already happened. So what contract are they waiting on? Iuk's contract cap hit's going to go down when they sign him. So there's no obvious reason why they would wait post-June 1st. But the thing is, is if you let him play out the contract, He'll have a $28 million cap hit this year and a $15 million cap hit next year, even though he's off the team because of the void years. That's why I'm saying you might as well take the cap hit now, then let him play it out and have him handcuff your offseason and then still have a huge cap hit next year in the dead cap.
0: One thing to remember, too, is you can cut somebody now, but designate them a post-June 1st cut. So you can cut Armstead now, give him a chance to find another team. But for cap purposes, you can pretend, essentially, that they cut him after June 1st, which I guess is good. Um, Daza 0187 says, the two players we need to do something about are Debo and Armstead, but their cap hits are huge unless they agree to take a pay cut. Armstead, they have more flexibility with Armstead, as we just laid out. Debo is, is yeah, <laughs> it's 20 plus million if you move on from Debo in any way. Whether you cut him, whether you trade him, it's, it's rough.
1: So if you want to work while I'm talking, bring up the Debo contract because Debo has a similar situation to Armstead that even if they keep him and let him play out that contract, he already has a good bit of money sitting in the void years. Thus, you're going to have a huge cap hit even if you hold on to him when he leaves. It doesn't make any sense to me. So you can see the void year. It's on the screen now in 2026. If you let him play out this contract, you're saying, all right, we're going to have a cap hit of 28.6 this year, a cap hit of 24.2 next year, and a cap hit of 8.5 when he's gone from the team in two years as he hits age 30. Or we can cut him now, save $2 million on this year's cap hit, and have that entire dead cap gone next year in 2025 so that we can do some something with that money. That's why I'm saying that they should move on from Debo now. Because if you keep him, you're saying, I'm going to take two massive cap hit years where he's not what he once was. And then you're still going to have a decent dead cap hit in the void year. Just get it done with. Tear can off you... the band-aid before Purdy's contract comes.
0: Can you really just cut Debo, though, and get nothing for him? I think him? they could find a trade for him. I think
1: he is tradable. Now, I don't think you're going to get the return that most fans would want. I think most fans are delusional and think you can get a first-round pick for him. I I think you would struggle to get a third or fourth-round pick for him because of the contract. Now, uh, if you go back to it one one last time, sorry, Uh, if you look, a lot of his cap hit is in the salary. So the acquiring team, when you look at the screen, he has a salary this upcoming season of 20.9 and a a, uh, salary of 16.6. Those are what an acquiring team has to pay him. And to me, that's a little bit less than market value. And that's why I think a team would trade for him. They're just not going to trade a ton because those are pretty big cap hits. a twenty, Essentially a 21 and a 16 and a half million dollar cap hit is what the acquiring team would need. But if there's a team out there that really needs help offensively or has a young quarterback that they're unsure of, that they want like that easy offensive weapon and screens and stuff, to help him come along, that's the type of team I would expect to come call in on Debo. You
0: know, it's interesting because I think Justin Jefferson just said he wants like $30 million a year for his next deal. If you look at Debo's cap number, in terms of like elite wide receivers, it's below market value. But obviously Justin Jefferson is a much better receiver than Debo Samuel. Debo has some limitations. So that does kind of, I think that's the reason for that. Debo
1: is not an elite wide receiver.
0: Yeah, I agree. He's, you know what I I realized the other day? Debo is like an air fryer. He's the thing that nobody knew they wanted until they got exposed to it, right? Nobody knew they wanted a wide receiver that could also run like Debo and take balls out of the backfield and run for five touchdowns a year. But then when he did it, everybody was like, oh my God, we got to get one of those. We got to draft the next Debo. We got to look for the next Debo. But in reality, like we were fine before air fryers were a thing. You don't really need one. And that's kind of how I feel about Debo Samuel now. It's just
1: the hard part of him and why I argued over the last month. I think he handcuffs the offense because the thing is, is you, if you have him, your thoughts have to be, if we just get it in the hands, something amazing is going to happen. Right. And that's. Not a bad thought to have, but the problem is getting it in his hands because he can't get himself open.
0: (laughs) Right, you have not a good wide
1: receiver. Yeah, so to me, it's essentially like this is not a you know dead-on analogy, but it's essentially like taking some of your greatest running backs in NFL history and saying we're going to make you a wide receiver because all we have to do is get the ball in your hands and something's going to happen that's amazing because you got the ball in space. So it's like taking a Barry Sanders and throwing him outside. They're completely different in the way that they're unstoppable in the open field with one being power and one being elusive. But that's essentially what I feel like Debo is. He's a dominant player in space who can't get himself open. And that's what you would get if you took a running back and said, we're going to make you a wide receiver. Their route running wouldn't be good enough to get themselves open. So it's all up to scheme to get him the ball.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing to me how much his stock has – has fallen since then, and again, he didn't even have a bad year this year, right? I mean, he had what was it, twelve touchdowns this year, over a thousand yards from scrimmage, but there were limitations there. And in a big spot in the Super Bowl, when he got eleven targets, he only caught three passes, and it just it was frustrating. And I feel like a lot of Forty Nine er fans certainly would get rid of Debo over Brandon Ayuk. I think that's pretty much universal at this yeah. point. If if the contracts were equal. And I think a lot of people look at Debo and and they're just like, yes, you're great and you do great things, but we would be better served ultimately in the long run with another receiver that's more like Ayuk than more like Debo.
1: I think we would. Uh, To me, Debo, people that are Niner fans, their mouth is watering because they saw an amazing season and they know what the potential is there. But I even made the argument at that time, this is a one-off because he had so many times that he turned a five-yard pass into a 75-yard touchdown that wasn't realistic to expect going forward and that's why in every other season that he's had he struggles to get a thousand combined yards and that includes the running yards to me that's not worth it if you're getting paid big money you better be truly dominant and he's not he can be taken out of the game completely if the other team says, we're going to concentrate on you. What are the other top offensive weapons like? It, teams try to take Kelsey out of the game. You can't do it. Teams try to take Justin Jefferson out and double cover him. You can't do it. They're too good. They beat it no matter what. Debo's not that tight. Debo, if you want to take him out of the game, you completely take him out of the game. <sighs>
0: You're preaching to the choir, my friend. Uh, Corey Soto says, I have no attachments. Trade Brock, Debo, BA, Bosa, et cetera, if you can get better. I agree. Yeah. But if,
1: uh, if you can trade Brock for Justin Herbert, sure. Right. Of course. There's no yeah. realistic trade for Brock, but the other ones, there there are potential trades that might make sense that are out there. I think Bosa, they probably wouldn't even listen on, but the other two there, they certainly would.
0: Well, that's why I wanted someone to ask Lynch, Are you? would you trade Brandon Ayuk and see if he goes to the Bosa route and says no way or if he gives the kind of general, will we trade yeah. anybody? Um, I think they would trade him, but I think the offer would have to be really good. But I don't think it's a it's a hell no, no matter what situation. No, There's like three of those players in like the whole league, basically. And, and I think Bosa is one of them.
1: Well, let me put it this way. If we get through the draft and the first like two days of free agency, and Ayuk's still on the team. He's not going anywhere because yeah. they will not trade him if they didn't get the replacement. If the draft is still to come, they might think we can get somebody in the draft. If free agency is still to come, they might say, "Well, we can use the the return that we get to improve the team, and we'll sign a wide receiver that we think can have comparable uh, effect. Won't be as good as Ayuk, but it will be close enough. And the other capital we got will make us better overall." If you get past I, I don't know the exact date that free agency starts this year but you know sometime what in two weeks from now basically
0: march 11th
1: i, I was gonna say it's normally around march 10th that it starts so yeah if you get to i would say march 13th 14th and i still on the team he's
0: staying Uh, Daza says Debo is unnecessary with Christian McCaffrey, but a better receiver. The offense is worse with him. Just look at the Super Bowl; Those targets should have gone to BA and Kittle. Mm -hmm. I definitely think Brandon and I should have got more target. You don't target when the other team can play good man coverage. You don't give Debo 11 targets. That's, that's not what you do. Um, and we're not saying that Debo is definitely going to get traded, but when Mike silver writes what he writes, I think it's worth at least considering the possibility. That's all. Like, I don't. Well, this is what we do in the offseason. We consider possibilities until things happen. Like I you want
1: to think- know a fascinating possibility. I don't think there's any chance in hell it happens, but it's an interesting thought to go down. If Minnesota decides, look, we just can't pay 32 million or whatever it ends up being to Justin Jefferson, and the Niners are sitting here in IUK saying, I want 26, 27 million, does Minnesota go, you know what? We'll do we'll do you throw in a third round pick and we'll swap wide receivers because we would rather pay the lesser amount to Ayuk, and you're willing to pay the higher amount to jefferson i don't think there's any chance that actually happens but is it it's kind of interesting like minnesota could say hey we think iuk is really really good and the drop off from jefferson isn't as far as most people think and we would rather pay him six seven million less than what jefferson is demanding
0: Look, if that happens, I'll be there cheering. Like I'll be yeah. jumping for joy if that actually happened. Uh, one eight seven says, Don't believe everything you read on the internet. It's just a writer's opinion. I hate when people say this. I it drives me crazy. First of all, if a writer says the 49ers are gonna get, you know, if, if Mike Silver said they're gonna trade for Justin Herbert and sign Justin Jefferson, people would be like, Oh, look, they know. Look at he's got sources. He know when it's something good for your team then you agree with my analysis of the situation. When it's something that's scary to you or that you don't like, then it's, oh, it's just his opinion. And again, I've been telling people this forever. Insiders don't just randomly write pieces on their opinion. They talk to people. They talk to sources. A lot of times they get told things off the record, things that if they want to talk about, they can't say, hey, I've heard this. But if they type it up and and just make it like a piece that looks like it's their opinion, then it's okay. Then nobody gets in trouble. Then the sources don't get mad. I worked at the highest levels of the sports media business for 14 years. I worked at ESPN for seven years. I worked at NBC sports for seven years on pro football talk. I know how the sausage gets made. I've talked to these people a lot off the record. I know how this stuff happens. Insiders don't just write their opinion to write their opinion. And again. Mike Silver, tied into this franchise. He knows Kyle Shanahan. He's known him since he was 15. He knows Mike Shanahan. He knows John Lynch. He covered John Lynch as a player for years. If you think he's just writing this out of his ass, you're wrong. And again, he's not saying Debo's definitely going to get traded. Go read what he said. Tough conversations are being had. Veterans who were productive, they're talking about moving off of them. When people speak, people with weight and power and influence speak listen uh
1: yeah so start listening to me rob <laughs> you are not one of those
0: people for the record I'm uh, I, I. no
1: the, the point i was going to make is i think some people make a mistake and they loop or lump uh beat writers into insiders beat writers and insiders are not the same thing some beat writers are insiders too but not all beat writers are insiders, if that makes sense. And not all insiders are beat writers. Right. They're, they're two separate things that some people end up being both. I would say Mike Silver is one that's become both for the 49ers. He's an insider, but he's also a beat writer that's there every day. Um, You know, your shifters are insiders. They're not beat reporters. Right. Somebody like uh, Barrows, um, Lombardi, writer. Cone, they're beat writers. I it's very rare that I've seen any of them have an actual like, "Ooh, I got told this type of inside information." Mayoko kind of blurs the line. Uh, he he blurs three different lines. He's beat writer, he's insider to a certain degree because sometimes they push him, and then he's also PR sometimes.
0: So, <laughs> it's uh, Hard to be he's all. He's got a teams.
1: unique yeah. He's got a unique role there.
0: Brent Jacobs, thank you very much for becoming a new YouTube channel member. You know, 187 says, I saw what those so-called writers said the last two offseasons. I'm good. Who said Trey Lance had arm fatigue? Oh, yeah. Mike Silver. Guess what Trey Lance had by Trey Lance's own admission? Arm fatigue. So, like, you could sit there and say, well, oh, Mac Jones. It's like, all right, great. No one had Mac Jones. Everybody was wrong on that. But you can't sit there and say, oh, Mike Silver doesn't know what he's talking about. He has no sources. He was on the Trey Lance thing. Like, what are we doing? Just because the news is scary or you don't like it, doesn't mean we can just hand wave it away. Again, like when people, certain people speak, we should take their word for what it's worth. We should listen.
1: Can I just uh, say, since you brought up Mac Jones and Trey Lance, that draft class is hanging on by a thread for being not not solidifying itself as the worst draft class for quarterbacks in NFL history. If Lawrence. Continues his downward trend that he had at the second half of this season. That's the worst draft class in history, unless Trey Lance somehow emerges. Because you have Trey Lance, who barely got any play and he may never get another shot. You got Zach Wilson, who I would argue is every bit the bust that Ryan Leaf was as number two picks. And you got Mac Jones, who was a bust. Tre- Trevor Lawrence is the like one shining hope of those top quarterbacks in that draft. And he was not going in the right direction.
0: If you, if if I told you the 49ers suddenly traded Trevor Lawrence for Brock Purdy, would you be happy? I would not. No. Right. No. I mean, and, and he's the best of the class. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, yeah. who literally his agent gave permission to seek a trade because they're so done with him. Trey Lance has four starts since he was drafted. Justin Fields has been terrible and the Bears are going to move off of him. They're going to take a quarterback first. Mac Jones has been terrible, except for that one year, really, where he made the playoffs. Then it's Kyle Trask, Kellen Mond, Davis. Mills. Davis Mills is like the second best quarterback in the class.
1: You mentioned Fields. Michelle, I'm speaking to you here. Give it up. He's
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: I heard you guys go back and forth a little bit. I think that was last week. My weeks have blended together. The last three weeks is yeah. just all one mess in my brain. Um, but it was a recent episode that you guys kind of went back. No, he he's not the second coming of Hertz. He's not, he's not a good enough passer.
0: I agree. He's, he's not good. I don't know why people don't want to say it. He is not good. That's the reason the bears don't want him, right? How much better off would the bears be to keep Justin Fields and either trade that number one pick for a bunch of other picks in the first round or take Justin or keep Justin Fields and take the best receiver in the club, Marvin Harrison jr. Right? Like, But they're not doing that. They're going to take a quarterback. Their GM is basically telling you at the combine, well, we'll try and get rid of Justin Fields as early as we can to do right by him.
1: Look at all the mediocre quarterbacks the teams have stuck behind for years. And yet here are the Bears with a quarterback still on his rookie deal saying, somebody please come take him so that we can draft another. That's all you need to know. Teams don't give up on a quarterback that they think has a chance of panning out,
0: period. Here's an interesting comment as we circle back to the Niners. I was willing to give Purdy a chance, but he fell on his face when it mattered most. Now that he lost, I know the Super Bowl losing non-Hall of Fame quarterbacks don't make it back. Welcome to QB Purdy, Torrey. How did Purdy fall on his face? He led three drives in the fourth quarter in overtime with the Super Bowl that gave his team the lead. That's falling on his face? I mean, damn, that's a pretty high standard. That is a high bar. I mean, I would not say he fell on his face at all. Could he have done some things better? Absolutely. But on the list of people to blame about the Super Bowl loss, Brock Purdy is not one. He's not two. He's not three. Yeah, he's.
1: Look, he's as good as I hoped he would be in in the Super Bowl. Could he have been better? Absolutely. But I didn't expect him to go out there and dominate. I knew he wasn't going to Kansas City's defense. uh, Their corners are too good for him to have gone out and dominate. He played well enough is the way I put it. He played great or good, not great. I, I got no complaints about how Purdy played in the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, again, that doesn't mean he can't improve and all that stuff. But I I do like QB Purdy Tory though. That's pretty funny. We could we could repurpose Purdy Tory and make it like a good a good phrase. We're in Purdy Tory now. I don't know. There, there's something there. I like it. <laughs> I don't want to be in anything a
1: Tory anymore. We've yeah. been there
0: for thirty years. That's true. Um, okay. The other thing we didn't get to is the defensive coordinator, Eleven, They still don't have one. Uh, the news came out this week that they finished their interview with Daniel Bullocks and that they were going to interview Chiefs defensive backs coach, Dave Merritt, who I'm going to be totally honest. I didn't know anything about Dave Merritt before this news came out. Um, so I did some digging and, and I got to say on paper, he seems to check a lot of the boxes the 49ers are interested in. One, he was a former linebacker himself in the league, and he has experience coaching all three levels of the defense: defensive line, linebackers, and secondary. He's been with Steve Spagnolo in with the Giants, and he's been with Steve Spagnolo with the Chiefs. The man has five Super Bowl rings, Levin. <laughs> On paper, Dave Merritt looks like a pretty good candidate. On paper, and you know, you said
1: it. I'm gonna flat out say it. That's all I got. <laughs> to go on. With it. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on other teams' defensive back coaches, right? Like, right. my knowledge does not go that far. There's uh, what, like 300 plus coaches in the NFL? I don't know them all. I know the head coaches. I know a lot of the actual coordinators. I don't know a lot of the positional people until they get elevated. I agree with you that he checks a lot of boxes. I, I would be happy if they hired him. I personally would would put him uh second on my list of the people that we've heard about. I I'm fine going to Staley. Me too. Uh, I I want to I want to I think it's worth it. You know, people say oh, but he was so terrible with Chargers. There's so many coaches in the NFL that are not good at being a coordinator and a head coach at the same time. Staley might be one of them. Spagnola was one of them. There's a ton of them. They're that way. There's very few that are capable of being great at both. You know, like Walsh was one that was great at both. He was a longtime offensive coordinator for uh, the Bengals. And uh, when he got screwed over, he was supposed to replace Brown as the head coach. And he got screwed over and wasn't given the job. That's why he was going to go retire. And then he got the opportunity with the Niners um, or St- Stanford, then the Niners. Whether or not Staley is one of them, we don't know, but he was so good in his role as the defensive coordinator. And I, I think it's noteworthy that the defense was mediocre to bad with Wade Phillips, dominant with Brandon Staley the next year, and then mediocre to bad the following year with Raheem Morris. That one year, it's not like the personnel changed out immensely between Those three seasons, that's back to back to back seasons for the Rams. So there is something there with Staley that he is a really good defensive coordinator. I want to see his second chance. I would be willing to be the team that gives him his second chance as a coordinator.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I would not be like, oh, woe is me that they hired Brandon Staley. I think it is two different things. I think it's two different jobs. I think there are a lot of coaches that can sit in a dark room for a week and come up with a really good game plan. And I think Brandon Staley might be one of those. There are not a lot of people that can be a good head coach and do some of that stuff. It's it's a very different task. It's a very different job. Um, so, I yeah, I'm not going to freak out. There is part of me that's a little biased and would prefer they go outside the organization. Um And the one thing about Dave Merritt that I'll say, you know, Steve Wilkes, I think, had a big hurdle to overcome because he was the outsider. It wasn't his system. It wasn't his coaches. He was the outsider. Dave Merritt would be an outsider, too. But Dave Merritt can throw down five Super Bowl rings on the table and be like, yeah, I might be an outsider. Look what I have that you don't have. And oh, by the way, I was just part of the defense that clamped you down when it counted in the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, he has an easy comeback. Oh, you don't want to do this? Okay, well, that's what we did when we kicked your ass. (laughs) Right.
0: Like, and what are they going to say? You know? So I kind of like that. Uh, Daza 0187 says, part of the defensive issues are the power that the vets have with regards to scheme. They helped get Wilkes fired. Also, the occasional lack of effort across the defense. Yeah, I said it at the time, and the more I look back on it. The power comes from the
1: top. The power is being given to those vets from the top. And you already saw, now I actually don't remember if it was Lynch or Shanahan this week, say that We like the scheme that we use.
0: Lynch. He said it at the combine.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's where the power comes from. It comes from Shanahan and Lynch saying, this is the scheme. We're going to find a guy that's willing to do it.
0: Yeah. They asked Lynch, like, hey, does not having a defensive coordinator change the way you evaluate players? No, because I think we have a great idea who we're going to be. There you go. Like he, he does, doesn't make any qualms about it. Um, I do think that they have to. I don't like all the power that the that the vets have. The vets are the ones that stopped the Trey Lance thing with mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo in 2021. The vets yeah. are the one that got Steve Wilkes to move down to the field from the booth in 2023. You can't have the players like with this much power all the time on everything. As a coach, it's a tough, it's a tough tightrope to walk. You have to listen to your players and take their input. But you also have to have the skill to sort of tap dance through making them feel heard while not always doing what they want. Sometimes you got to be like, hey, I've heard you. I appreciate the thought, but we're not doing that.
1: That's why I want to see one of these big name vets, preferably one of them uh, involved in the Cabo click, get moved.
0: Yes. You break that
1: up and you say, hey, we're still team first here. It's not about you guys. It's about winning.
0: And you know what? Patel points this out. The vets choked in the Super Bowl. McCaffrey fumbled the ball on the opening possession. Trent Williams, two penalties back to back on the second possession. Debo, three catches on 11 target. You know, it's like the vets are the ones that did kind of let them down a little bit in that game. So that's a good point. I wanted to bring up. Oh, I know what I wanted to bring up. The the whole Wilkes thing about going down to the sideline. Here are the points allowed until that Vikings game seven 23. When the Rams kicked a field goal on the last play of the game to make it 23, 12, 16, 10, 17, and then, or 19, excuse me. And then 22 in the loss against the Vikings. Like the defense was kicking ass, but they lost that game to the Vikings because of a zero blitz call where Charvarius Ward has an interception in his hands and the receiver rips it away and runs for a touchdown. I really feel like the vets had this outsider feeling with him all along. And they used that excuse to get him down on the field where they wanted him.
1: We, we've had this conversation before. If you just look at the point totals, I think you get misled. If you watch to the games, you saw the problems with Wilkes, the going and saying, Hey, we're going to give you 10 yards of cushion when you need five yards on third down. That type of stuff is just stupid. And he did it consistently all season long. The talent on the defense covered up a lot of those issues. When you're running a defensive scheme that even the fans sitting on the couch going, (laughs) what the hell is this? You're not doing a good job. You can look at the point totals and by the point totals, you go, well, Wilkes couldn't have been that bad. What are you talking about? It's misleading. If you watch the games, you saw the problem.
0: Yeah, I I really feel like the problems were made bigger by I think like the 49ers were almost looking for problems. So then when they happened, they were like, oh, my God, see, see, this is why we need to do what I wanted to do all along. Even though you can complain about the yardage and stuff that Steve Wilkes allowed, what ultimately matters is points. And the Niners did not allow very many points last year.
1: I mean the the cherry on top, the tiebreaker, however you want to put it, is the fact that Oliver was brought in because Wilkes thought he would be good,
0: and he was, oh. had lost his job before the season even started. Yeah, and now he's already gone.
1: <laughs> yeah, I am not an athletic person anymore. They would have been better just saying, "All right, Levin, you come, you stand <laughs> in this spot." And you just, like, try to push anybody that comes in there and be willing to get lit up yourself. That's That would have been probably more effective than Oliver was.
0: Man, but. I really wish I could have seen that. I wish we could have made that happen. I could just watch you get blasted on the field by NFL wide receivers all day long. <laughs> uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, good news is I got a lot of cushions, so it breaks my falls.
0: <laughs> there you go. Oh, man, so we wait. You know, we you had said last week you thought that Friday we were going to get the Friday garbage dump and that we were going to get the internal announcement last week and they were going to kind of push it under the rug as the combine Mm -hmm. was starting. Another Friday is coming tomorrow, Evan. Now we we've heard that that Bullocks has completed his interview. We know Staley interviewed. We know Nick Sorensen interviewed. I don't know if they've actually completed the interview with Dave Merritt, but certainly that's coming up there. He's probably at the combine right now. So maybe they were able to do that in Indianapolis. Certainly had the opportunity. Um, Friday news dump. You think it's coming? Uh, Well, if I can get comments, keep flying in. Jason
1: Tillman says 11 was just a week off on the announcement. It's probably happening tomorrow. I don't think he's wrong. I am shocked that they got into the combine without a defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. I would have thought that they would have the defensive coordinator. Part of me does wonder if what they ran into is they had an external candidate that they wanted, maybe Staley, but they said, we have this scheme, you're going to run it. And they said, well, I'm not coming then. You're not not going to bring me in and be able to use me as a scapegoat type. If I was Staley, I would be saying that. I'd be like, I'm not coming in and running your thing. And if it doesn't work out, you get to just move on and say, well, that was the problem. It doesn't work that way.
0: And not if it doesn't work. If we're third in points allowed, like yeah. he, if he's fourth in points allowed, whoever the coordinator is, it's like, well, the defense got worse. That's why it's a really tight spot. Cause there's a lot of expectations. The scuttlebutt around the combine, according to Matt Barrows and others, was that they wanted Ulbrick, that Jeff Olbrick from the jets, former Niners yeah. linebackers, the guy they wanted. And that the reason it's taken so long is because they're trying to get the jets to agree. Cause the jets don't have to let him out of the job. Yeah. He's under contract with the jets. They don't have to let him go especially uh, not for a lateral move, which this would be. So I think that they were trying to work that out. And it looks like that's off the table now because Robert Sala is probably like, you know. Yeah, I don't blame
1: him Sala saying, hey, my job's on the line. Get the hell out of here.
0: (laughs) Well, that's that's the last thing, Levin. So if you're the Niners, do you give the job to Nick Mm Sorensen this year and say, when Robert Sala gets fired, we either hire Obrecht, the guy we wanted, or we hire Sala again. Yeah.
1: I thought is crossed my mind. I'll put it that way that they could be going with uh, somebody internal with the underhanded agreement that, Hey, if one of these two guys comes available, we would want you to step back
0: or we'll just let you go, you know? Yeah. So I'd be interested to see what kind of, like if it's, especially if it's an internal hire, what's that contract look like? Do they announce the terms of the contract? Maybe it's a no. one-year deal. You know, and then then they just say, no, hey, no, well, no. that's
1: not how it works. Defensive coordinator deals like we never got. We never got details on Wilkes's contract. Yeah, we never we never know the contracts of coordinators. We don't. Hmm. That, that never becomes that's never a thing that's pushed out there. So
0: I actually don't know if we ever heard about anything about Wilkes's salary or what the contract was or anything
1: like that's the type of thing I pay attention to and coordinator salaries are not announced unless there's been very few times in history where like it's a really really big name and they announce oh well yeah we're paying this guy you know because then it makes the team look good
0: yeah I don't know I don't know what his uh I don't know what the contract was. Yeah, maybe they're, right. maybe they're not paying him. I mean, coaching salaries don't count against the salary cap anyway. So,
1: yeah, actually, coaching, the head coaching salaries don't have to be announced either. Those right. normally come from some insider getting it and then everybody just goes with it. They're not all there have been a few times when can't remember what coach was it. I want to say it was probably 10 years ago. I'm getting old. So it could have been 15, <laughs> uh, where he was fired and somebody said something. Somebody asked a question about how like they paid a lot of money for you to, um not succeed or something like that and he said something along the lines of i wasn't paid what you guys thought mm. because those those don't have to be public ever since it had to be public when it, well actually that means it wasn't that long ago uh it had to be public when they were uh what the nonprofit or whatever it was where they were under the purview of congress and all that stuff and the nfl gave up that designation so that they could become a private organization and keep all that shit under wraps
0: I think that was Goodell's salary that you're talking about had to be public. I don't think it had applied to coaches.
1: Uh, So if you fall under that all senior, I think the way the law is written, it's like all senior employees must have their salaries public. And that included coaching coaches. So there are ways to go find it. It wasn't easy to go find, but there was ways to go find their salaries. Now they don't have to say shit.
0: the uh the thought is that basically they depress the coaching salaries uh, the owners do artificially. They don't pay them like top market deals. And then they use their other companies, the LLCs and stuff like that, to funnel mm-hmm. money to the coaches. And so, like, no one ever really knows for sure how much coaches are getting paid. I mean, the whole thing is just so shady. Like, <laughs> Just friggin' come on. Anyway. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Please rate, review, and follow the Gold Standard Podcast Network. Like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, please. We're live every single weekday for you. Uh, If you click the bell, you'll get notified when that happens so you don't miss a show. Do you have any exciting things happening this weekend, Levin? Anything at all? You're just going to be Uh, a lump.
1: (laughs) I got today and tomorrow off. Hey! That's uh, extremely exciting uh, after working essentially three weeks straight so uh that my weekend will be at work though i work saturday sunday i'm going on to disney on ice tomorrow though so nice favorite disney character go probably has to be simba because lion king i was nine years old i was obsessed i had the soundtrack on cassette tape and i played it so much that uh, I think after like a year, my brother used to complain all the time because I'd put it on the stereo, you know, around the house. That's so kind of, I didn't have cable till I was 10. So we used to always have music blasting in the house. I used to always play that. And then that tape mysteriously disappeared one day. And I'm assuming <laughs> it was my brother getting rid of it.
0: It was destroyed by a fist shaped object. <laughs> yeah. Would not uh, surprise me. Wrong answer, by the way. The answer is the genie. But anyway, we'll let it slide. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Everybody. That, that's the funniest character yeah as opposed to Simba's deep emotional you know well,
1: I know but that's just my favorite movie so off the top of my head there probably are characters that I would say like actually now that I'm thinking about Robin Hood might be my favorite I loved that movie as a kid and I picked up uh, certain mannerisms from him as a as a kid
0: stealing from rich people and giving to poor people
1: uh yes and I'm just foxy so okay
0: goodbye everybody <laughs>